Our Father in heaven, uh, we do thank you for your word, for the sufficiency of it, for the sufficiency of Christ. Thank you for these that you have brought to hear your word. And Father, we pray now the prayer of the Apostle Paul that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding Uh, that we would live our lives pleasing to you, bearing much fruit. And Father, I pray that for each of these in their own lives, in the ministries, in the context of local church, even through the workplaces, that your word would be upon their hearts and that it would flow forth freely uh, from their lips to the praise and to the glory of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, as you can see, our topic in this hour is going to be defining and dealing with anger. And since this is a topic that none of you have ever had any experience with personally or know of anyone else, uh, we can make this really short, right? Now, it's probably only fair that uh, I go ahead and let you know up front that I am an anger expert. Not only because I am ACBC certified, but also because I still tend to get angry over petty little things. And I could give you all sorts of examples, but one is probably plenty. Um, Several years ago, we had a foreign exchange student live with us. Uh, She was from South Korea. And in South Korea, they have something called the metric system. And so one day she borrowed our scales and uh, got on there, I guess, to see how advantageous the American food was becoming to her. And she would borrow it on occasion. And one day I went to, to get on the scales myself to see if my weight was continuing to go up with my age. And as I stood on the scales, uh I waited and waited, the number kind of flickers, and then the number 81 pops up. And I'm sitting here thinking, what in the world? And then it dawned on me that she had probably borrowed the scales again. Now, I had a great opportunity in that time to do what all of you would have done to extend grace. But instead, I began to get a little frustrated as I began to think about how inconsiderate she was. I mean, didn't she know, due to the gross negligence, that I was going to have to bend all the way down, pick up the scales, turn them over, put it back on the proper setting that measures pounds and not kilograms, put it back down, stand on the scales again, and wait ever so patiently for the appropriate number to appear. And I think she probably should have known that if God had intended for us to use the metric system, then Jesus would not have chosen 12 disciples, but 10. (laughs) So really, as you can see, my goal in this session is to equip you to counsel people just like me. And as you sit down and you counsel people like me who are struggling with frustration or anger or whatever it may be, what are the two words that should direct what you are going to bring to that person who's struggling with anger? What two words would summarize the content and the aim of what you're going to do with them? Simmer down. down. Those are two words. Weekend three, what is biblical counseling all about? Extending grace, certainly. Hope. I'm looking for the gospel, right? You want to share with them the gospel. The gospel is not just for our justification, but it is also for our sanctification. It has every implication upon every aspect of our lives, including when we work with people and ourselves as we struggle with anger. So second Peter one three says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, does that mean that the gospel gives us then all that we need to deal with sinful anger? All things that pertain to life and godliness and in God's word, uh, we see who Christ is. We see the gospel. We see the implications upon how to deal with this common life issue. 
Second Peter one three. All right. And yet, as we look at anger in this session, I think in order to properly understand anger in light of the gospel, uh, we need to understand God in light of anger. And so that's going to be our starting point, a biblical view of God and anger. And so you might ask the question, what do God and anger have to do with each other? Well, to know God is to know that righteous anger flows from the essence of God's being. Righteous anger flows from the essence of God's being. And the fact that God displays anger is a truth that many today downplay. They want to emphasize God is love. God is love. God is love. Therefore, God cannot be a God of, of wrath or of anger. And yet, as the late R.C. Sproul pointed out, the Bible talks more about God's wrath and his anger than it does about his love and his mercy. And so we need to understand this God who has created, this God who we serve. Now, why might God be a God who displays wrath and anger? Well, Psalm 711, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. And so as a righteous judge, why might God display indignation? Because of sinful man, because of sin, right? John three thirty six tells us the wrath of God, Jesus speaking here, the wrath of God remains on those who uh, are separated, who oppose, who are apart from his son. Okay, so God is love, certainly, but God is also wrath. God is righteous in his anger, in his wrath. Second point, God's anger is a right and just response to what is wrong and offensive. God's anger is not sinful. And so as we read through the Bible, like the Israelites, uh, people today, they both neglect as well as many reject God's word and doing what is right in their own eyes. And therefore, does God not have the right as a just and holy God to be angry? And also, is God not always right in his anger? Absolutely. And so we need to keep that in mind. And like the father, Jesus, likewise, displayed righteous anger. And so we know all the we all know the story of Jesus entering into the the temple um, there at the Passover feast. And he goes in and what does he see? He sees the money changers there in the courtyard. And what is his response? Did Jesus sit down with them and kind of try to reason with them? No, he makes a whip. He turns over the tables and he drives them out. And yet we know, according to Hebrews 4.15, that he did so without sin. And so anger, passion was displayed, but it was perfect. It was righteous. It was without sin. And so we see that Jesus, as well as God, demonstrates that anger can be utterly holy, right, good, and even a loving response to sin. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. A great text where we see the love of God and the wrath of God come together. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. It says, but God shows what? His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us since therefore we have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from what the wrath of God and so in love God poured out his wrath towards sin and yet not upon us but upon his own son that his righteous wrath might be satisfied and demonstrating his love towards sinners that we might be forgiven. And so in God, we can see that his anger, it's always holy. It's always righteous. It's always good. But then that begs the question, what about our anger? Is it always holy? Is it always righteous? 
is it always good? We need to examine this in our own lives, but also if you do counseling, formal counseling, maybe informal counseling, you're probably going to encounter others who claim their anger is righteous and there's nothing to repent of. And we need to, we need to question that. We need to challenge that sometimes. And so number five, that the capacity for human anger may be linked to being made in the image of God. Sin has so twisted the human heart. That human righteous anger, untainted by sin, seems unlikely. And so James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 says, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires okay and so why are we slow to anger because the anger of man does not produce that which god calls us to live in and that is his righteousness and so to put it plainly our anger is usually sinful at least to some degree okay so how can we know if somebody's claiming to have righteous anger How can we know in our own struggle with anger whether or not it's righteous or not? Well, thankfully, others have thought through this well. One of those being Stuart Scott, uh, his excellent little book, uh, Anger, Anxiety, and Fear. He gives these criteria for what must be true if anger is to be truly righteous. Okay? And so first, you are not sinning. (laughs) Obviously, if we're sinning, our anger cannot be righteous. It's unrighteous. Uh, and so you're not sinning. In other words, you're not violating something that God has told you to do or not to do. And also you're not omitting something you should be doing. Okay? So you may be speaking the truth, and Scripture calls us to do that, right? But are you speaking the truth in love? What's the motive in speaking the truth? And what's the manner in which you speak the truth? And so even if you're speaking the truth, if it's not in love, it can still be unrighteous anger mixed in with that. Another... A qualification of righteous anger, you are not thinking about yourself. Okay, ultimately, it's not about you and your glory and what you want. Rather, Matthew 22, 37 to 39, love the Lord your God wholeheartedly, love your neighbor as yourself. Ultimately, you're thinking about the good of the other person, the glory of God, and loving the other person. A third thing to consider is that you are in complete control. Okay? Uh, fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 23, last one listed there, self-control. Okay, you're not out of control. Uh, The Puritan, John Trapp, put it this way. He said, he who will be angry and not sin must not be angry at nothing but sin. Okay, it may not be grammatically easy for us to put together, but let me read this again. He who will be angry and not sin must not be angry at nothing but sin. And so what is anger and why should we consider it? So let's take a look at a definition of anger as we can summarize this from what we see in the scripture. This definition is from Robert Jones, uh, who's got a wonderful book um, called Uprooting Anger. I saw it in the resource center there. Really, really good resource. Uh, And he gave uh, this definition. Anger is a whole person, active response. Of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. Read that again because this is so good. Anger is a whole person. Active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. And so note here a couple of things. Number one, anger is not something that happens to us. Rather, it's something we choose to do. Now that's important. Anger is not something that happens to us from the outside, but rather something that we choose to do. So think about this. We get angry because we receive information, right? We receive information. We interpret that information. We think that it is wrong, and therefore we respond in anger. Okay? And how quickly... Can this take place? Sometimes just like that. I mean, it's almost instantaneous. How could that be something that I chose to do versus something that just came up on me, right? Because it's so quick. So let me give an example here of 
of this, uh, of how we can get quickly angry. Um, what did you do the last time you were, you were driving and somebody pulled right out in front of you? Did you spontaneously just bust out in song? It is well with my soul. Or perhaps would this be a little more characteristic? You use that opportunity. Somebody pulling out in front of you is a gospel opportunity. Jesus died for sinners just like you. Okay. And so we can respond quite quickly in angry. We interpret something and we respond to it. Richard Baxter gives another definition of anger that I think is very helpful. He says it's the rising up in the heart in passionate displacency against an apprehended evil, which would cross or hinder us of some desired good. Something gets in the way of what I want and I respond in anger. Or I don't get what I want. Or somebody takes what I want. And the response is ultimately from the heart. And it's one of anger. And so we'll, we'll get to here in just a moment. James 4, 1 through 3 though. Uh, we see that Baxter here is anchoring anger where? It's in the heart. It's in the heart. And that is so important. And so in counseling, biblical counseling, are we seeking to do anger management? Certainly there's an aspect of the behavior which we need to deal with. But ultimately, we want to deal with the fountain from which that anger flows. Man is concerned about the outward appearance, looks on the outward appearance. The Lord looks upon the heart. And so ultimately, all sinful anger is a heart issue. So we'll come back to James 4 here in just a moment. But first, let's look in the New Testament. There are three primary words that give us a description of anger and I think it's helpful to understand what these are. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 26 and verses 31. And these are great passages. If you're counseling somebody with anger, you're probably going to want to take them through this text after you give them the bigger context of the gospel in chapters 1 through 3. Here are the implications of the gospel, uh, how we are to be transformed by it. But in Ephesians Chapter 4, looking first at verse 6, it says, Be angry, depending on what translation you have. Some translations say, In your anger. And so here, be angry or in your anger, it's a concessive verb. Okay, it's not a license to self justify unrighteous anger. Okay, so it's acknowledging we struggle with anger, but in your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your, on your anger. That's Ephesians 4.26. And then in Ephesians 4.31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Now, something to note here, the word all is used twice to encapsulate that first list and then also towards the end. What's to be put away? All. All forms of sinful anger. Okay, there's just no room for it as, as believers. God calls us to put it all away. It's contrary to verse 34, the gospel being lived out. All right, and so these four words, uh, looking first uh, at Ephesians 4.31, you see the word wrath there in the NASB, and that's the word thumos. And that's a, an explosive anger, the boiling agitation of the feeling and passion of anger. And so the best picture I could think of that would relate to this is a volcano, right? Get near, get seared, okay? This type of anger just is explosive. And if you're too close to it, you're going to get hurt, okay? Second type of anger uh, defined and described in Scripture is orge. And this is, again, in Ephesians 4.31, and in NASB, it's the word anger there. And so it's an abiding, settled attitude of indignation that frequently seeks revenge. And maybe a good picture of this would be a crockpot. Okay, it just kind of simmers and gets revenge in various ways. Maybe not as obvious as a volcano going off, but still has its ways of manipulation or pouting or withdrawing or whatever that may be. And the third word for anger there, back to verse 26, uh, the Greek word there is paragismos. And anger mingled 
with irritability, exasperation, and embitterment. Now, the only picture I could think of that would relate to Paragismos, going back a few years now to my middle daughter, uh, when she was four weeks old, uh, there's a definition, angle, anger mingled with irritability. Uh, my four-year-old daughter, her first word, her four, four-week-old daughter was Paragismos, if you can believe that. She was being smothered by her mom. She was exasperated. And so it's that kind of, of anger and exasperation. And so here are our four words, four descriptions of anger. But I think what's most important to note is not necessarily the definitions and descriptions of these, but anger in Ephesians 4, it's in the context of what is to be put off. All of these, every form of sinful anger is to be put off. It doesn't represent Christ. It doesn't represent our Savior. It's not how God's people are to relate to one another. And so these are things that we are called to be put to put off uh, rather than excused or justified. All right. So that said, number four, unrighteous anger is mental murder. Okay. And, and uh, Stephen Yule, I think, taught again this weekend, uh, made a statement once that stuck with me. Aren't you glad that a two-year-old can't actually do what it feels like doing? Yeah. Or we'd all be dead, <laughs> right? And so unrighteous anger is mental murder. Matthew 5, 21 and 22 says, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And then in 1 John three fifteen, it goes on to say, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Okay? And so... Anger, that's a definition of it. Let's take now a look at the description of it. It's a first. Anger is something that a person chooses to do. Again, this is so important that we get this. It's something a person chooses to do. People do not make us angry. All right? That people make us angry is ultimately an alien uh, pun there with you make me so angry. Some of you remember that cartoon from years ago. Um, that's not really what scripture teaches. Worldly wisdom says we get angry because other people make us angry. However, uh, open your Bibles to James chapter four, verses one through three. Here's a passage uh, that we really need to understand in light of, of anger and, and, and many things in life. But we're going to relate it now to anger. James four, one through three reveals anger to not be something that's caused by others, but something that's rooted in our own hearts. And so James 4, 1 through 3 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, what they did to you? Is that what it says? No. It says that your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Okay, did you note the source of anger? It's the desires, the passions of the heart, within the heart. Anger is a choice, which is why Psalm 37, 8 says, refrain from anger. We're called to. It's our responsibility. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. So Psalm 37, 8, what are we to do with anger and wrath? We're called to. Our responsibility is to refrain and to forsake it. All right. And so we're, we're commanded to stay away from sinful anger, which assumes that through dependence upon the Holy Spirit, by His grace, we can do battle with anger. And in Christ, we can displace that with the fruit of the Spirit. And again, what are the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, last one listed. It's actually all one, but self-control. Okay, and so by God's grace, we can put off sinful anger and display self-control. All right. And so anger seems to be something that happens to us automatically to come at us as an outside force. But what does James 4 say? 
your passions, your desires within you. All right, until somebody understands that they're struggling with anger and they're willing to take responsibility for their responses, uh, they could quickly accept, and, and sometimes there is something to a diagnosis of bipolar, but it's so easy to be labeled with the world's things and then do the world's remedies when is this really a physical, a physiological issue or is this primarily a heart issue? And so in biblical counseling, certainly if we think there is a physiological issue, we're going to work with a doctor, hopefully a good, solid biblical counseling Christian doctor, if you can find one. Uh, but ultimately, anger is rooted in in the heart, right? And that's what we seek to counsel. All right. So next... Number two, unrighteous anger comes as a result of idolatry. Unrighteous anger comes as a result of idolatry, putting self in the place of God. Uh, Ken Sandy, in his book, The Peacemaker, put it this way. He says, idols demand sacrifices. When someone fails to satisfy our demands and expectations, our idol demands that he should suffer. Whether deliberately or unconsciously, we will find ways to hurt or punish people so that they will give in to our desires. All right. And so what are some of the common ways that people use anger to punish others? Other people, of course, we would never do that. But what are some ways you've seen other people punish others through anger? Withhold forgiveness. Okay. Yeah. Withhold forgiveness. Revenge, silent treatment, treatment. yelling, yeah, physical violence. I'll say it again. Reprisal, Reprisal. avoidance, Mm -hmm. Yeah, yelling, verbal abuse in its various forms, all sorts of different ways that people will seek to punish others when they don't get what they want. And so anger manifests itself in so many, so many ways. All right. And when these things take place, ultimately, it's an indication that there's an idolatrous desire ruling the heart. OK, what is going on? What are they wanting? They're not getting or what are they getting that they don't want? Uh, if you remember back, I'm pretty sure you probably heard this one of the first two weekends. There are only two options on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self, right? And the gospel frees us from being dominated by selfish heart idols. Second uh, Corinthians 5, 15, um, verse 14 starts off, the love of Christ compels us or controls us. And then verse 15 says that we might no longer live for ourselves. Isn't that why we get angry? Because we're living for ourselves and we're not getting what we want. That we might no longer live for ourselves, but rather for him uh, who died for us. And so idolatrous desires lead to anger. And then number three, anger is often used as a tool to get what a person wants or as a weapon of punishment when a person doesn't get what he wants. And so when we get sinfully angry, according to James 4, is because we don't get what we want. When others interfere with our idols, with those things that we desire, we tend to criticize or perhaps condemn them in our hearts, if not then in our words or our actions. And so to that end, David Pallison wrote this. <clears throat> he said, we judge others. Criticize, nitpick, nag, attack, condemn, because we literally play God. We act exactly like the devil who seeks to usurp God's throne and who acts as the accuser of the brethren. When you and I fight, our minds become filled with accusations. Your wrongs and my rights preoccupy me. We play the self-righteous judge in the many kingdoms we establish. And so in sinful anger, the the tendency is to attack the other person. The tendency is to withdraw from them uh, when we don't get what we want, right? And so number four, it's also important to realize that anger is often disguised by names. Anger is often disguised by names. Uh, Wayne Mack uh, years ago put together a list of the different disguises that anger takes. And here's part of that list. Uh, Mishurt. Upset. Offended, 
bothered, annoyed, needs a nap, misirritated, resentful, irate, at the boiling point, enraged, infuriated, Mr. Disturbed, disappointed, frustrated, ticked off, hot under the collar, worked up, distressed, bitter, displeased. Or had this happen the other day with my four-year-old, got up on the wrong side of the bed. (laughs) Okay, those are all manifestations, different varieties of anger. Now, it can be disguised, but let's consider one, and a very common one. Let's consider the first one there on the list, Miss Hurt. All right, as relationships are made up of sinners, are people going to be wronged and emotionally hurt? Absolutely. And if hurt is not dealt with in a biblical manner, then it will always lead then to some form of resentment. And so, as we can all relate to, not recognizing and dealing with a problem biblically today, what's that hold for tomorrow? It grows. Right. You can sweep it under the rug and sweep it under the rug for quite a while. But eventually you're going to trip over the rug and what's under the rug is going to be exposed and it's going to be a mess. Okay, so we need to deal with the problems of the day biblically in a timely manner. All right. Number five. Anger is extremely deceptive. Anger is extremely deceptive. When things don't go our way, we can be quick to justify or even excuse our anger. And in doing so, we can become hardened to sin, to the deceitfulness of sin, even to the point of thinking that it is okay to be angry. And so anger, like all other sin, is deceptive. Uh, and, and you've probably encountered this. Often people that we think of as angry people don't even understand the degree to which they are angry. And so a little comic here. Uh, have you noticed it too? And so oftentimes those that are angry are crushing, they're hurting others, maybe not physically, but relationally, emotionally, and they really don't even uh, grasp the extent of what they are doing. And so anger can be extremely deceptive. And that's why Hebrews 3.13 says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay, and so concerning the sequence of sin in the light of anger, Paul Tripp said this minor unexpressed irritation, which once troubled my heart, is now fully expressed anger that is easily rationalized away. And so anger, anger deceives us into thinking that it is right for us to hurt people who have hurt us. Anger deceives us into thinking that it is right for us to hurt people who have hurt us. Do others hurt us? Absolutely. Is that pain real? Yeah, absolutely. And yet we need to be careful because we can quickly then begin to justify our sinful anger, our response to them, uh, not responding to them as God would have us, but rather in a sense of self-righteousness. And so anger also deceives us into thinking that we must obey it. That we can't help our angry response. And this is part of counseling where we need to help others see that is simply not true. Right? The gospel enables us to truly change and to increasingly become like the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we have anger, then increasingly it would hopefully be a righteous anger. A truly righteous anger and not a self-righteous anger. And so Paul reminds us in the hope of the gospel in this that we can do... All things through Christ who strengthens us. And so at our church, we have a preschool to the community, two to five-year-olds. And I got to teach them the letter I the other day. We're going through the ABC memory verses. And I taught them this verse, the letter I. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I had them act like chickens, flap their wings, and told them to fly to the ceiling. How many of them got there? But doesn't Philippians 4.13 say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? And so I said, well, forget the wings, just jump up and touch the ceiling. In fact, if you can jump up and touch the ceiling and scrape off that little popcorn up there, that'd be great. Get rid of all of it. But if you can jump up and and scratch that stuff off, then uh, your teacher will have a candy bar for you. And they tried as hard as they could, and they got about six inches off the ground. I said, well, what about Philippians 4.13? I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. Okay. What is the all things in context? 
Yeah, contentment following verses, right? It's doing all of his holy will. It's doing that which he has called us to do, and that is to live unto his son. Can we do it in ourselves? Can we overcome anger in ourselves? No, we'll only get angry at ourselves because we can't do it, right? We need him. In Christ, we can do all things. We can, by his grace, put this off and prayerfully, by God's grace, see the fruit of the Spirit being manifested in our lives. So I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Next, it's important to understand that anger has an object or a target. Now, this is in one way theologically very deep, but also in another way very simple. Who is ultimately the object of sinful anger? God. Is she right or wrong? you got to think about this one, right? It is God, and so let's think about this. If we're thinking in light of Romans 8, 28 and 29, right? A great verse to memorize, very helpful oftentimes in counseling as well. If all things work together for our good, for those who have been called, um, if all things work together for our good, ultimately that good is to be conformed into the image of, our, uh, in the image of, of Christ. All things, God makes all things work together for the image of a good. But what if we don't like the circumstances he's using to conform us to the image of a son? What if we don't like that, that person or whatever it is? Okay, then who are we ultimately angry at? The one who is sovereign over all. God, if I would have been in charge, I would have done it different. Why didn't you? Okay, and so ultimately... Sinful anger is rooted in the disapproval of God's sovereignty, how he is reigning. That is important to understand because do we want our counselees to shake their fist at God, to run from God, or to run to God? And so we need to help them understand that all sinful anger ultimately has an object, and that object is God. Anger says, I want to be sovereign and have things my way right away. All right. A great little resource um, if you're working with people struggling with anger and they don't really get that. Again, Robert Jones, he has a great little booklet. I saw it in the Resource Center um, called Angry at God. That is a great book to help somebody who's just mad at God, angry at God, to learn how to use the Psalms to respond to the situation in a way that is glorifying to God rather than a way that... Kind of shakes a fist at God. All right, number seven. Anger is both taught and modeled to us in life. It can become a habit or second nature through practice. We see that in Proverbs 19, 19. And so it's important for us as work with others rather than following the pattern of this world, perhaps following the pattern of, of their home in which they were brought up, perhaps they very angry parents or, or whatever it may be. Anger was modeled and they kind of respond in the same way because that's how they were trained um, in part. Uh, we have the opportunity to help others understand that there is true change. They don't have to be like their mom or dad or whoever else in light of that. They need to be like Christ. And there's hope and change um, for them as they look to him. And so going back to Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, uh, we see again that sinful anger is something to be put off. Verse 40 or 32, though, says what? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Okay? And so it's not just stop acting that way, but rather, how do we honor Christ in the midst of this? We need to learn to be kind and tenderhearted. And that may be a a counseling um, homework assignment. What does that word mean, kind? What does that word mean, tenderhearted? Let's define it biblically, and then let's write out five or ten ways in which you can demonstrate this. And when you're tempted to get sinfully angry, remember God's great love for you, his kindness towards you, his tenderheartedness towards you, his forgiveness of you. And with that other person then, let's seek to honor Christ in this kind of response, a kind heart, a tenderhearted response, a forgiving response. Very, very important. Okay, well, that leads us then into um, biblical strategies to putting off sinful anger. 
Okay, so how do we go about putting off sinful anger? Now, this is really, really important because we all, again, know somebody else who struggles with sinful anger, right? Uh, several years ago, Robert Jones, who I've already mentioned, who wrote those books and booklets, um, spoke in Granbury at our conference there. And uh, he gave some very interesting statistics. So he got his doctorate uh studying anger he did his dissertation on the topic of anger and so a lot of research here and this is really really profound what he came up with he discovered that one out of one people struggles with anger (laughs) and he noted then that if married that statistic goes to two and he noticed if that married couple has two children that doubles right In other words, this is a universal common temptation that we all struggle with to some degree or the other. So what do we do about it? Well, here's a strategy. Here's a plan to help us, to help those that we're seeking to help. Number one, recognize that the vast majority of anger is sinful. Okay, you can make a case that all of our anger in some way or the other is tainted by sin. It's it's pretty hard to make a case. I couldn't personally say the clear conscience I have ever truly been righteously angry through and through okay i may have been righteously angry at something that god's angry about but somewhere in there my thoughts my words my actions displayed a little bit of unrighteousness mixed in with that okay and so we need to recognize the vast majority of angle anger is sinful number two we need to adopt a biblical view of anger okay what we just talked about is anger something that comes upon us Or is anger something that's rooted in the desires of our own heart? Is it a response that we have to circumstances? Or is it something out of our control? Number three, practice the log principle. Okay, so you've already been through communication, conflict resolution, um, Jesus' words, Matthew 7, uh, there 1 through 5. um, Before you seek to take the, the speck out of your neighbor's eye, take the log out of your own eye. And so if there's a conflict... And even if you're only 1% responsible to adding to that conflict, where do you need to focus first? On their 99%? No, on your 1%. First before the Lord, and then in making that right with the other person as far as it depends upon you. Number four, identify the thinking and ruling desires or idols of the heart. And so if someone is angry, you might start out by taking them um, appropriately uh, back to James 4, 1 through 3 and help them to see if their anger is a result of idolatrous desires. So how might you do that? Well, here's some, some questions to help out. What did I want that I didn't get? Okay. What did I want that I didn't get? Was it acceptance? Was it comfort? Was it compassion? Was it chocolate? Is there something I am wanting too much? We'll stick with the chocolate theme here. Uh, one of my younger children would eat chocolate literally for every meal. Wanting it too much. See, what sinful thoughts and desires was I entertaining? Well, this child, putting words in her head now, but if my parents don't give me chocolate, I'll nag them until they give it to me. Okay, D, does my anger tend to fit a pattern? That's really helpful as you work with people struggling with anger. Is there a pattern? I found there almost always is some sort of pattern, uh, some kind of desire and response and those types of things. And so going back to the chocolate, is there a pattern? Well, only every time there is a meal. (laughs) And so if there's a pattern, help them then to undersee that pattern. Uh, Some more questions with that. With whom am I typically angry? Okay, this is very helpful as you're working with others. Uh, Who are they typically angry? What's behind that anger? What are they wanting that they're not getting? Or what are they getting that they're not wanting? With who am I typically angry? In the case of my child, you might say her parents, also the chocolate police. In what context am I likely to get angry? That's important for her with chocolate. That would be breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Those would be the context every time you get to eat. Under what circumstances am I likely to get angry? Well, and using the chocolate illustration, when I'm hungry, when I want it, and I'm not getting it. How long am I angry on this situation until I get my... 
chocolate till I get that idol that I want. And then another question, how do I tend to respond? Do I tend to blow up or clam up? Okay, so these are just good questions to try to understand what's going on in the heart. What are they wanting? What are the desires? And helping them recognize that. All right, Ken Sandy uh, puts it this way. Am I a peacemaker, a peace faker, or a peace breaker? And so this is out of his biblical peacemaking book. Um, very, very helpful. And so when there's a conflict, when there's a struggle, when I've been hurt, how am I going to respond? Am I going to seek to be a biblical peacemaker? Am I going to be a peace um, peace faker and pretend everything's okay, just run away from it? Am I going to be a peace breaker and attack the other person uh, verbally, perhaps even physically? Okay? And so how do they tend to respond? In another consideration, is my anger primed and ready to respond to another person's sin? Is it primed and ready to respond to another person's sin? You've probably heard people describe uh, relationships where they feel like they're walking on eggshells. R.C. Sproul um, said this. He said, we're all like fields that contain landmines. Some people have hundreds of them, while others have only a few. And so the question is, what are those landmines in our life? What are those idols in our life? If somebody messes with them, if somebody steps on them, there's going to be an explosion. There's going to be anger displayed. What are those landmines? It's important that we identify those. F, do I sinfully impose my needs, rights, expectations, and demands on God and other people? Okay. Are they sinfully imposing their idolatry upon others? Now, let's, let's consider Christ in contrast. Mark 10, 45. What do you say? He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, why do we tend to get angry? Our idols, what we desire, we are not being served. Where should the focus be? How can I make much of Christ? How can I serve him and serve this person in whatever the opportunity uh, might be? What would it look like to glorify God in the midst of this? So we need to help others think through that. G, has a lack of repentance, a lack of repentance led me to be bitter and resentful? Okay, in other words, am I regularly angry? Is anger a normal thing for me? Okay, and those are good questions for us to ask of ourselves, but also to ask of our counselees to help understand the extent of this. And again, what is behind that? And I'll use a, an illustration. I don't think I shared this here. Um, just regarding anger and how it can work. We like to be in control, right? We get angry because ultimately we're not getting what we want. Um, and so in our anger, sometimes we try to get what we want. We try to get that idol. Uh, Several years ago, we were having a, I think it's a staff elder get together at one of the elders' house. And during a break, I was younger, a little more mischievous back then. And I looked out on the back patio, and there's a snake crawling up the wall. And so, what did I do? I went out and I caught the snake. Of course, I got it right behind the head, so it couldn't bite me. And the lady of the house was very formal. And I had a little fun kind of chasing her around a little bit, the snake, and it was good. But what do you think that snake did after I grabbed it? Snakes tend to coil up, right? So it wraps around my arm. Well, after a while, I start to get a cramp in my arm. I initially had control of it and was having fun with others, right? Being in control. But I held on to it and it got control of me. Okay, that's the way anger works, right? Initially, oh, I want to take control. I want to get whatever I want. And anger is a means to get that. But if we don't deal with anger in a, in a biblical way, let the sun go down in your anger, and what happens? Bitterness takes root, right? Resentment begins to build, and that becomes then manifested in various ways. So we need to, to put off the anger. So if you wonder what happened to the snake, thankfully I was able to get out 
Somebody helped me put a stick on the back of the snake's head and I was able to unwrap it. I didn't get bit, right? I got help to get away from the snake which took control of me. And sometimes that's why we do counseling, right? Anger has got us in his grip and we need the body of Christ to help us get away from the grip of sinful anger. Okay. Number five. Another strategy, confess sin and seek forgiveness from God and others. And we need to be specific in a sense as we're confessing. Um, biblically identifying what that sin is and confessing that sin. And so again, I want to be specific, but also use biblical wisdom. And so if, if you spewed a whole lot of unwholesome talk towards somebody, you don't want to go back and say, well, you forgive me for these words that I said um, and name those words again that aren't appropriate. That's not what I mean by being specific, but rather I used unwholesome talk in our conversation. Will you please forgive me? So when you go back and, and confess and seek forgiveness uh, for what we have done, and you covered this under your conflict resolution. Uh, number six, by God's grace, repent of all sinful anger. Okay, so that then raises a question. What does it look like to repent of sinful anger? So here's some helps with that. First, ask for God's help and wisdom. Okay, this is something that, again, must be the work of the Spirit in our lives. I can do all things myself. Philippians 4.13, right? No, I can do all things through Christ who... Strengthens me. What kind of power does he have? Divine power. Right? He is able to strengthen you to do that which pleases him. And that involves putting away all of our sinful anger. And so there's great hope in Christ in the gospel for overcoming this. And so we ask for God's help and wisdom. And, you know, a great place to start. As I have people make log lists of Psalm 139, um, 23, uh, where the psalmist cries out, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Where is anger rooted? In the heart. Lord, help me to see those sinful desires that I have, or even those good desires that I've desired too much, and now they become an idol. Help me to see this as you do. Search me. Show me. Sin is deceitful. We need God to help us understand as he does, as his word describes. And so we, we humbly ask for him to do that. Next, seek God's transforming grace in the renewal of heart and actions in obedience to Christ and his word. Okay, and so thinking through verses like uh, Philippians 4, 8, 9, where Paul there um, calls them to think on those things that are true, honorable, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. I think I left one out. And then verse 9, these things that you have seen and heard and received from me, do them. Put them into practice. And that's part of what repentance looks like in seeking God's transforming grace. See, develop a specific plan for dealing with anger. Okay? Yeah, sure, I acknowledge it. Don't want to be that way anymore, but I'm, if we don't have a plan, what do we do? The same old thing, right? We need to understand God's will for how to deal with anger through the scriptures, and we need to write that out, understanding that biblically, and get accountability along with that, and then seek to live out that plan. So develop a specific plan. And so again, with that, how, what does that look like? Number one, memorize helpful Bible verses that are related to that struggle with anger. Again, the gospel absolutely is central to this. So maybe Ephesians 4.32 is one of those verses. Be kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. Second, identify your personal pattern of anger. Then develop a plan for righteous responses. Okay, what are those things? What are those idols in my own heart that I need to put off? And then what would it look like instead to glorify God and to love the other person or persons in light of this particular struggle? Uh, Lou Priello, in his book, The Heart of Anger, uh, gives these questions to help us understand the root of anger. And these are great for journaling. Okay, and this is something I'll sometimes give people as a homework assignment, um, you know, write out. The next time you get angry, I want you to sit down before you go to bed that night and write out your answers to these four questions. So number one, what happened? 
What were the circumstances, not that made you angry, right? But that provoked you to anger, that revealed the desires of your heart. So maybe an example of that for those who are married might be this. My wife squeezed the toothpaste tube instead of rolling it up. Okay, what's the circumstance? Okay, there's a a very simple one, but a common one. Uh, Two, how did you then respond? What did you say? What did you do? And perhaps the husband might say, I muttered a few words and then I rolled it up like it should have been done in the first place. Okay. Number three, how did you feel? Rejected, frustrated, lonely, bitter. Well, I was frustrated because she didn't do it properly. Okay. Number four, what were you thinking? In other words, what did you want? What were your motives? Um, if my wife doesn't roll it up next time, I'm going to hide it from her. And it could get a lot worse than that, right? All over a tube of toothpaste. Now, how many of you are toothpaste squeezers? Be honest. How many of you are toothpaste squeezers? Okay. How many of you are toothpaste rollers? Okay. How many of you just committed mental murder in your heart? Don't raise your hands. But you may have something to repent of. Okay. Number three. Consistent practice of righteous responses is the key to growth and change. Okay. This is the pattern I've been practicing. This is the rut that I'm in. The next time a similar temptation comes along, what can I do? What would be a God-glorifying response that I can pray he would grant me the grace to do the next time I'm tempted to get angry concerning whatever that idle temptation struggle is? It's important to, to put those things perhaps even into writing and to pray that the Lord will grant you the ability to do that. If you're like me and sometimes you need some help, you're just kind of stuck, um, a great resource, The Complete Husband, Appendix G has some really good responses for right responses when struggling with anger. So that's the complete husband, Appendix G. Next, we can regularly review your plan for change, taking time to prayerfully meditate on the truths of God's word to help you in your struggle. Okay, regularly review your plan. for This has been a struggle. For some people, it's a struggle for years. I've counseled people who are in their 60s and 70s who are just angry people. This has been a struggle for years and years and years. And what needs to take place? They need to have a plan. They need to know what the will of God is for them in the situation. They need to pray daily that the Lord would help them to respond differently to those in a way that would, would honor Him. In fact, it's interesting... I shared this in the advance track. Um, had an, an individual who came to me, a very angry person. His wife said, every time you're home, it's like we're walking on eggshells. I and the kids are actually glad when you're not home. It's just easier that way. It's more peaceful that way. So I think when he heard that, that was his key. Okay, I, I've got to get help. Uh, seasoned Christ and one to honor the Lord. But this really became a pattern in his life. The guy doctrinally knows the word pretty well. He's, he's heard stuff on anger. And as I was talking to him, I said, you know what? You, you know these things, but have you actually sought the Lord for the grace to change? He understood it intellectually, but he hadn't depended upon the Lord personally for the grace to actually change. I can do all things through Christ. He had done it in his own strength, tried to anyways, and failed. And he began to pray every day, Lord... Help me today to not be angry, but to respond to you with kindness and tenderheartedness, the heart of forgiveness. And after one week, home was very different. And after one week, enormous amount of change. Because where does true change come from? Our best efforts? Now, ultimately, we're dependent upon the Lord. And he began to truly depend upon the Lord's grace to change. And it's been wonderful progress there. All right, next. Five, quickly stop and repent quickly stop and repent when you begin to respond in anger resolve by god's grace to live accordingly to your game plan okay and next be aware of and likewise repent of other sins which often accompany and feed anger 
Okay, and you'll discover this in working with people who struggle with anger. Usually it's not in isolation. Usually there's other pride issues, there's bitterness, there's slander, gospel, evil intent, murder, sexual sin, all different types of things that tend to be interwoven in this. And so what else is feeding this anger? What's related to it? Next, trust God in the midst of your trial. Okay, trust God that he is sovereign over all things. Don't try to be sovereign. Trust the one who is sovereign. Next, make room for the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He doesn't need our help. There is not a vacancy in the Trinity. He's perfectly good and content in what he does. All right. And so our job is not to um, take revenge, but rather to return good for evil. Romans twelve twenty one says, do not be overcome by evil, but contrast overcome evil with good. And last, as we put together a game plan, as we seek to honor the Lord with this, uh, establish an accountability relationship to help you with the above. And, and you may want to establish an accountability relationship to help you identify and put together that game plan. Uh, we all know that if we have a brother or sister in Christ who, who loves us and will come alongside us, then we're probably more willing to take things more serious and we're encouraged and we to pray for us. And the Lord has been so gracious as to give us the body of Christ to help us with common temptations such as anger, right? And so aren't we grateful for the Lord that he's given us his word, he's given us one another, he's given us his spirit. To that end, let me, let me pray for us and it's time for a break. Father, we thank you for your word that is indeed sufficient. Lord, we acknowledge that we struggle in various ways with anger. And Father, we pray that in every way that is sinful, Lord, that you would, by your spirit, help us to see and understand that and to look to you and to your word and enable us uh, to have the grace to grow and change and to make much of Christ uh, even in this struggle. Father, as we seek to also minister to others, Father, help us to take the truths from your word that we've learned today and to uh, love others with them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.